And now, and now, and now, now. item, 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 item with Tommy Lee. Item with Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. I'm Tommy Lee, and this is the Item Podcast. It's my random record button for whatever's in my head at any given time. Today, it's another music-themed episode. But I'll run you through two each from Iron Maiden. Item number 130. So, a lot of people make fun of Iron Maiden and consider them pretentious or silly because of the lyrics, and I don't care. I heard my first Maiden in 1986 when I started at a new high school, after we moved, and my new friend Terry Lickness loaned me Power Slave, and that album blew my mind so much that he told me to keep it, and I still have that vinyl and cherish it. Uh, I love the old Diano stuff, I love the classic Dickinson stuff, I'm learning to accept the Bailey stuff as it gets older, and the newer Dickinson stuff, I feel, is just misunderstood. The band is getting older, and with age comes a certain change in a rock band. Maiden have become kind of a prog band. Let them be a prog band. In a way, it's kind of a return to their roots. Considering how long the Adam Podcast's stroll through the Rush catalog took, and considering that Maiden has almost the same number of studio albums, I'm going to do this podcast differently than I did the two on Rush. For starters, I'm only doing one. Uh, I'm not ranking the albums. I'm going to just hit two songs per disc, the best song and the one that I like the best. And I'm doing this because I saw a list online at Ultimate Classic Rock recently of the best song on each Iron Maiden album, and I found myself disagreeing with some of it and wanting to offer up a bit of a rebuttal. I'm a big fan, after all, and I have a podcast that is traditionally whatever the hell I want it to be, so today it's about Iron Maiden. If you don't like Iron Maiden, I understand if you hit stop now, but I encourage you to keep listening because if you don't like Iron Maiden, let me at least introduce you to a little bit of why I and so many others do. So, let's gallop in. The album Iron Maiden, the first one, back in 1980, was a warning shot across the bow for that year. The band had punk energy, prog sensibilities, and they were faster than Judas Priest, with a better grasp of melody and harmony and twin guitar attack. Very cool. The music was complex, the words were complex, and right away on the debut, Maiden established a desire to tell stories with their lyrics, rather than just write songs about chicks and beer and weed. The best song in the album is still the one that gets iron heads like me pumped up when we hear it in concert. Running Free has persisted because it's just one of those epics that every band prays they can hit on with their debut. And Maiden had two, really, thanks to the other song that they've been playing live for almost 40 years now, the eponymous Iron Maiden. The singer was a tough-looking dude named Paul Diano, and I'm a big fan of those first two albums, which are the only ones that he cut with Maiden before he got booted out for partying too hard. You know you're partying too hard when a band like Iron Maiden kicks you out. Um, He had a distinctive growl to his vocal style, especially in the songs that I've already mentioned, and stuff like Prowler and Sanctuary, epic classics from the band. My favorite song on the album, though, isn't any of those, nor is it the sprawling epic Phantom of the Opera. It's the song where Paul actually shows that he can sing softer and with some soul. Remember Tomorrow. The The guys in Metallica are fans of that song, too. They did a cover of it a while back for a tribute album that was also slapped on the bonus disc of their latest album. Kill 
Colors was album number two. It had better sound, better production, and a better second guitarist in the form of Adrian Smith, my favorite. Uh, it's also a darker album with a parade of songs about death and murder and all things grim, hence the name Killers. Wrathchild was one of those anthems like Running Free that connects with a fan base and gives them a hill to die on when defending the band to their detractors. But Wrathchild holds a special place for fans as well. Back in 99, when Maiden announced to fans that Blaze Bailey's reign of vocal terror was over and Bruce was coming back into the fold, they did so by re-recording and re-releasing this classic with Bruce Dickinson. Uh, the original version, of course, featured Paul Diano. It was a genius move to get the fans excited about the upcoming new album with their fan favorite singer returning to the fold in 2000, but we'll get to that later. My favorite from Killers is an odd choice, given how many of the classics from the band are on it. I love the bizarre progressive rock song that no one likes, Prodigal Son. But every song on Killers is a killer. Yes, even another life. So Diano biffed it after the Made in Japan EP that followed Killers, and he was replaced with our old friend, the air raid siren, Bruce Dickinson. He's a fantastic front man who kicked the band into a new gear on the third album, the second one in a row with the cover that non-fans tend to recognize when they think of the band. The album, The Number of the Beast. It's a dogfight between the title track and Run to the Hills for the best track on it. I think I'd give it to the latter for establishing and cementing the famous Steve Harris bass gallop. Personally, my favorite is the song that I consider to be one of the best songs that they ever did. It's the last cut on the album, a seven-minute masterpiece called Hallowed Be Thy Name. Then came Peace of Mind. Now, there's an argument to be made among fans that it's the band's best album, but there's no argument possible about what the best song on it is. The Trooper ranks right up there with Running Free, Wrathchild, and Run to the Hills on the band's Mount Rushmore from the first four albums. You'll take my life, but I'll take yours too! you fire musket, but I'll run you through! Those songs are carved in stone with the fans. My favorite, though, is When Eagles Dare, the song that opens the album. The next LP, Power Slave, was the peak of the classic lineup. The best song is Two Minutes to Midnight, even though I wish it was Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, or maybe even Ace is High. Rhyme, based on the Coleridge poem, is my favorite because it took me forever to work out on the bass guitar. After that, the band started to tiptoe into a more poppy sound on the next album, Somewhere in Time. Critics panned it, some fans hated it, and I love every single song on it. Stranger in a Strange Land, Alexander the Great, The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, these are all highlights, but the best song in it, and my favorite, is Adrian Smith's Wasted Years, the song that really gave him a chance to finally emerge as a songwriter in the band on his own right.
after that, the quality starts to drop off for many of the band's fans, but I really dug the next album, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. That put me in the minority, though, because the band dared to bring in <gasps> keyboards. It was a full-on prog rock concept album, very much a snapshot of what rock was doing in 1988. The best song on it's a tough call. Can I Play With Madness was the song that they were pushing the hardest, but The Evil That Men Do was better. I think it's the best song on it. My favorite is The Prophecy because of this riff that hits when the song really kicks in. So at first, to kick off the 1990s, we were given No Prayer for the Dying. The first album after the band's golden era was obviously over. The songwriting was starting to suffer. Adrian Smith had quit, and they did bring in a great second guitarist to replace him, but he wasn't Adrian Smith. And Bruce was now splitting time with his new solo career and starting to lose interest quickly in Maiden. This album had a couple of decent peaks, but the only real song that stands up for me and most fans is Tail Gunner, and let's just move on from that one. Fear of the Dark was next. It was a vast improvement over its predecessor, and it had four strong candidates for the best song. Wasting Love, a great ballad. The title track, which is a class act and a great closer for the album. One of their best finales, really. But Be Quicker Be Dead is the class act on this album for songwriting. However, the fourth standout song is my personal favorite, Afraid to Shoot Strangers. Bruce Dickinson quit the band after the tour for this album, saying that he felt Maiden had outlived itself. He might have been right. Then came the dark days. Look, not everyone can be Sammy Hagar or Brian Johnson. Following a popular lead singer and relaunching a band is a really tough gig. Hell, Bruce Dickinson had to do it, too, with Number of the Beast. So let's appreciate for a minute that Blaze Bailey is not a bad guy. He was just a guy who was tapped to do a job that was about 30 or 40 percent beyond his ability to do it. His case wasn't helped much by the fact that songwriting fell off hard on the band's 10th effort, his first, an album called The X Factor. Look, I'm not a huge fan of the two albums that Bailey recorded with Iron Maiden. Like most fans, I listen to them every now and then in the hopes that I can appreciate them a little more for what they are. And sometimes I can. Sometimes I cannot. Of the two, though, this is the one that's harder to love. The X Factor is just bad. Sign of the Cross is the only song that has made any real impression and found its way into the live sets. It and Man on the Edge are really the only ones on the disc that have connected with me as a fan. I don't know which one's better. The album's darker. It followed the trend of Fear of the Dark in that way. And things were certainly different now, and it seemed that maybe Bruce was right. Maiden had outlived its usefulness. This album had absolutely no memorable riffs to be found on it. As was the case with Virtual Eleven, which is locked in an eternal dogfight with the X Factor over which album sucked more and had a Roman numeral on it. You have Future Real, a song that's got energy, but it falls flat when it tries to get up on its legs like a baby. Uh, you have The Angel and the Gambler, which had a music video using computer graphics that haven't aged well. Uh, and the song is almost ten minutes long, but it really could have gotten away with being only maybe two and a half, if that... But the album does have one great song on it, and it's a really great song. The Klansman has also survived these creative doldrums and bullied its way into a spot on the modern playlist for the band in concert. And I've never seen a fan of the band who doesn't love The Klansman. 
It's also obviously my favorite on the album because, let's be honest, it's the only option. And it's a strong piece of writing that gives you hope that the band will be able to pull themselves together. And they did. A year later, though, Blaze was out and Bruce was back in. I would like to think of Brave New World as the album that should have followed Seventh Son of a Seventh Son because the classic lineup was back with Bruce and Adrian coming back. The songwriting was stronger, with weak songs finally being the exception on an album rather than the rule. The title track and Ghost of the Navigator were great, but the opener, The Wicker Man, has to be the best cut on the disc. My favorite is Blood Brothers, which Bruce always dedicates to the fans when they play it live. And it's not just a pander, in my opinion. This is a band that truly understands they would be screwed without us. Each of the three guitarists, whose styles complement each other perfectly, by the way, they found a wonderful balance with those guys, has a song in the middle of the album that shows their distinct strengths, which is great. Nobody gets slighted. And Bruce seems rested after having about seven years of not having to deal with Iron Maiden's rigorous tour schedule, and sounds like he's back on his game. And then they stumbled a bit again. Dance of Death was a good album, but not necessarily a great one. Adrian Smith's Passchendaele is probably the strongest song, and it's my favorite. There are some other high points, and the band seems happy to be working together again, and the disc is nice and dark and everything, but Dance of Death never really clicked with me. Nor did A Matter of Life and Death, their 14th album at first. Now, the first time I heard it, I was a little bit worried that the band was going to be done after this album. It was a lot more proggy, and it took the long-written themes of death and war that the band had been devoted to for years and years and years and years and years to their obvious peak. After a while, though, this album did grow on me as I realized it was more of a return to the sound that they'd had on Seventh Son, but without the keyboard addiction. In my opinion, the star of the show is the song called The Reincarnation of Benjamin Brieg, a really sprawling epic from a band that's famous for them. Brighter Than a Thousand Suns should be in the favorite conversation, too. Uh, the best song in the album, though, has to be The Longest Day, which is absolute vintage Maiden and uh, a good sign of possible things to come. Look, I know this has been a long trip, but stick with me. There's just two more albums to go. 2010, the band gives us the final frontier. It was a sci-fi experiment in staying the course and following the formula. It's not an album that's going to show up in anybody's top 10 list unless they were really young when they discovered it, and it means a lot to them. But the album's not bad. The first half of the album is the tasty part with a really weird opening track and a quality ballad called Coming Home. The best song, though, and my favorite, is El Dorado. The rest of the album, eh, it's all right. This brings us to their longest album, an hour-and-a-half double-disc monster called The Book of Souls. Three of the songs on the album are more than ten minutes by themselves, and one of them, Empire of the Clouds, is the longest song that they've ever written at 18 minutes. It's also my favorite. To light the storm to an empire of 
the clouds. The album had a tough road to the stores. Bruce had a throat cancer diagnosis in 2014 when most of the album was being put together. That and his treatment delayed the completion of the LP. Maiden fans, not known for their patience, were rewarded with a piece of work that gave us not just good news on Bruce's health, but also some excellent output from the band. They even put a song on the album for Robin Williams called Tears of a Clown. And there are a lot of other musical high points uh, that show the band was still coming out of the corner swinging. The best song is probably The Red and Black, which is another of the long songs. And in my opinion, sounds like it should be on Power Slave, an album that had come out 30 years earlier. And this has been the Item Podcast, written and produced by me, Tommy Lee. It comes out now and then, whether it needs to or not, at Audio Boom, wherever you just found it, and at many other fine podcast providers with obviously dubious standards. Item does not follow much of a regular schedule, so if you want to hear it, please subscribe to it. Remember, it does keep being different things. It has no real format, so hopefully you're still finding it interesting or at least entertaining. Please drop me a rating and a comment somewhere and spread the word if you like what you've heard. There's even a Facebook page. You can look for The Item Podcast by Tommy Lee and uh, join that and get updates when I remember to update the Facebook page. I'd also like to invite you to check out my other podcast, The Archive. It's a work of original fiction, perfect for binging, and it recently wrapped up an adaptation of my second novel, Cher de Macher, which is the one my mom calls her favorite, and my mom wouldn't lie. Anyway... As usual, thanks for listening. The item is part of the Optin On Demand family of podcasts. And in my last hour, I'm a slave to the power of death. This has been Item with Tommy Lee. by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.